I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. I actually they're podcast hosts. Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And we are back for the final episode of Cracker 9-11. Or as it's called in America, A New Terror, which yeah, Americans are cowards. Well, yeah, particularly since the whole thrust of the of the of the of the whole episode yeah like is that it is not a new terror it is just the continuation of terror only this happened this time it happened to the americans mm-hmm. but you take a long time getting there i thought oh, it- wow so yeah and first off let's just get this out of the way up front yes this really does feel like a pilot for a new series of cracker movies that they didn't end up making yeah And it's a little sad that they didn't make more Cracker. I think I've been very open about my love for Cracker. And I'm going to say it. Jimmy McGovern is back in fine form this time. Oh, my God. It was so slow building. Oh. And it's because he had, instead of having to break it into three separate episodes, he had the full time. Yeah. And we didn't have to sort of create a shtick at the end of one to take you to two, create Mm -hmm. a to take you to the final finale, right? Yep. Um, but uh, it doesn't matter. It was it was kind of slow, and I was kind of wondering. I have to admit, when I was watching in the beginning, but boy, is he back? He found something else to be pissed off about. And the answer was the American government, the Go. American government, and the British government, and, and the, the British government. I mean, that opening scene. Oh. Right off, like you know, if if you know anything about British politics and Irish politics, you know right away what's going on here. He's, yeah, he he's doing for the British soldiers who were in the whatever you Northern Ireland. Yep, to keep the peace. The, the well, the keep quote the peace. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it's not you know, given that my last name is Redmond. Yeah. Um, you, have, you know, we, we do have certain issues. Certain <laughs> issues and certain sympathies. Yes. and But the thing is, is that what McGovern does is tell the stories of, and that's what he did with the football one, with uh, with, uh, Albie. with Albie, of these disaffected, abandoned people. And, and what you're doing, that opening scene where he and his wife are mm-hmm. taking a taxi. Yeah. You know, and, and want to go and see the um uh the memorial the memorial for the british soldiers who died yep. in northern ireland and it's locked up oh and, and it's it, being it, forgotten and turned into commercial real estate yeah jesus it's just forgotten nobody does anything about it and yep. so that was that is and the uh, extra the extra indignity yes that they um, won't take uh Irish Irish, pa- Irish pounds. Yeah. They're from Northern Ireland. Oh, don't take it. It's legal tender. Like it's part of the British. But no, like, yeah, Ireland's a different country, but Northern Ireland isn't. No, Northern yeah. Ireland. Oh my God. So yeah, that was a that was a rough scene. That was that opening scene, but you already knew what was going to get set up. Oh, of course. One hundred percent. This poor guy, and you see it, yeah, and, it, and nobody's doing anything about them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so he has found his, you know, um, scapegoat, as they would say, one more time. Yeah. You know. Um, oh, my God. But just watching uh, him seeing this comedian. Oh, <laughs> you feel so well, sorry. But anyway, yeah. uh, Fitz. Fitz is back. Uh, so... He moved so to Australia. Moved to yeah, we moved to the wedding. He is, uh, the family moved to Australia after the events of White Goat, Lucky White Ghost. We don't know exactly when, but fairly, uh, fairly close, we have to assume. Uh, and obviously Mark stayed. Yes. And everybody else left. Uh, yeah. Mark stayed and we f- catch up with Mark. Now, like a 28-year-old man with a single father who has a house and has a daughter and is honestly doing surprisingly well for himself. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, because all the crap he gave Mark for his entire childhood. Yeah, apparently Mark's doing fine. Yeah, well, Mark saw his father a hell of a lot more realistically than anybody else in that damn family. <laughs> it's true. Like, <laughs> if there's one message here, it's that, you know, Mark, more than anybody, could absolutely see fits for who he was. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And uh, so he does not he does not put up with a lot of his father's crap. And you really, you like to see it. Yes, it's very nice. And to- uh, yeah, and then Fitz <laughs> makes a mess of his daughter's wedding, because of course he does. Of course he does. Because he can't not. He doesn't know how to stop I himself. I could not believe. And then, you know, so his daughter just got up and walked out when he was talking. Yeah. Oh, walked out. Yeah, the only way to deal with him. But and then then Fitz shut up. Yeah, but seriously, watching that, like watching him just make such a fuss, I'm like, uh, you know, so because I'm thinking about the math. His daughter was like 13 at the end of the show, so she's, uh, she's 23 now, yeah. right? And I gotta say, uh, unbelievably inappropriate speech to start talking about her ex boyfriends. Oh, I don't know. And and enough of them that you're kind of implying that your daughter's a tramp. There's enough ex-boyfriends that you mention. And I'm like, and, and running down, running down the present, the, yeah, pre- the, the, the husband and the, the husband and father. the family. Exactly. Family. Like, I just like I'm going. Fitz, shut up. The daughter gets up, walks out, and then Fitz has to go. And yeah. his wife, his wife just tells him. Yeah. You know, enough. Mm-hmm. And stop being so jealous that they're young. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's doing. Because we see his uh the um we, we see a bit of Fitz a little later on, and we realize that Fitz has been living with this, you know, idea that he was never gonna get old. You know? <laughs> there he he really had it in his head that he was never gonna get old, but suddenly, you know, suddenly he can't get it up, right? And it's like the, and sh- he says that it's old, and she's like, I think it's more likely the decades of abusing your body that are to blame for this one, Fitz. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, huh? that's what it is. But the thing is, he can't take, per- he doesn't want to take personal responsibility. Yep. Uh, he'd rather just say, well, everybody gets old. And it's like, yeah, everybody gets old, but you are spectacularly hard on your body. And it was always going to catch up with you eventually. Yes. And it finally there has. There look at looking at Viagra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at Viagra. Oh my God. Meanwhile, 
the killer has called, um, I call him the killer already, because that's what he thinks of himself as, because he's called a suicide prevention hotline and says that if I don't kill myself, I'm going to kill somebody else. And his wife overhears it. Yeah. And he's got, yeah. Starts crying, so he hangs up. Yep. And goes out. And he goes out and he goes to a bar and in an unbelievably bad piece of luck for everybody. Yes. There's an American comedian there uh, doing his routine. And, uh, oh, and a guy from the audience asks him what he thinks about, you know, Jerry Adams. Because <laughs> they're talking about Bush and he's talking about how terrible Bush is because, you know. He's a comedian, and he's right. Bush is terrible. Uh, it's not like you can do pro-Bush comedy in the year 2006. <laughs> what kind of sense would that make? Uh, but yeah, Bush is terrible, and he's doing comedy about it. And the guy, you know, compares him to Jerry Adams, and he starts talking about Northern Ireland. And mentions that, uh, you know, it's like, hey, you know, thanks for uh, good luck that you got, you know, good show you guys for uh, spending all of those years brutalizing people in Northern Ireland because now we're ready to torture Iraqis. And of course, this is... Yeah, this is where you learned how to do all of this brutal torture. So yeah, uh, absolutely the wrong place to be doing that. He should have known it was the wrong place to be doing that, period. I I mean, it was... It it wasn't just bad luck. It wasn't just that guy. I mean, that was... Yeah. That that was like I'm going, and you thought that was funny? Yeah. Well, I mean, going to England and calling all of their uh, all of their soldiers torturers and murderers. And here's the thing, um, I am going to say, but my position, quite simply, is they shouldn't have ever been in Ireland in the first place. The history of the UK in Ireland is a history of, uh right, is the history of oppression and genocide and colonialism. It just is. Like, they, again, people are like, oh, the potato famine was terrible, right? And everybody died, and it was just, you know, this horrible potato blight. And it was a horrible potato blight, but that's not why people died. Because, let's face it, people died because they couldn't afford food, right? People died because they couldn't sell, because... They had a choice. What potatoes they were able to farm, they could sell to keep from being thrown out of their homes, or they could eat. And if you ate the potatoes instead of selling them, you got thrown out of your homes. And just to be safe, the landowners had soldiers burn your homes to the ground so that you didn't come back and try to squat in it. So it's like, I'm just saying, the, the British government has nothing to be proud of for its treatment of Ireland. Right. Not from the be- not right from right from the start, beginning when Bonnie Prince Charlie when they when they moved Ugh. hundreds of people over from Scotland into yep. Ireland, and then I mean and that set I mean that was what it set up in the first place. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why my family left at the end of the 18th century. Yeah, because they came to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um. Because it's all before all of this stuff was starting, but obviously there was a reason why they all decided to leave. Um, I can only hypothesize. It's not, you know, just maybe generalized because it was all families. Like it was my, 
my great 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 grandfather and his brother and yeah. both of their wives and all their children. Mm-hmm. And they were actually, as I've said, I think before, going to South Carolina. They and had half to- of the family. Half of the family stayed, and half went to South Carolina. Yeah, they they ended up overwintering because this winter came early. Yeah. And so they overwintered in River John, where there's a huge big shipbuilding. There was at the time at the a time, big yeah. shipbuilding factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my family stayed. The rest, the other side of the family, went down to South probably, Carolina. And to this day, there's so many Redmonds in the Carolinas. Oh, in the Carolinas, all around. I swear, every time I see the last name Redmond, I swear to God I'm related. Oh, it wouldn't shock me at all. Like, they they did quite well for themselves, and we stayed in Canada, and now there's a town that is 80% our relatives. Yeah. Well, well, plus, but the thing is, is that each generation, there were always a lot of children. Yeah. Always a lot of, and a lot of men. Like, my generation, for some bizarre reason, only, all the men only had daughters. That is weird. It, it is the weirdest thing in the world. I only have, as first cousins, females. Hmm. I have no male first cousins. It's really, really weird. Now, but every generation before that was at least 50% male, and they always had 8 to 10 kids. Oh, they moved right across Canada and into the United States. We have relatives out in Illinois. We have relatives all over the place. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones that go as well, go looking for the roots. Um, so we end up in contact with some of these people. So you find some of these stories there. Some of them can be on ancestor. I, there, I still don't know where the long involved, um, genealogical chart that takes us all the way back to when they left and they left from Wexford, which is very strange because Wexford is in the south, but they are originally from the north. They were Protestants. They were uh, Presbyterians, of course, um, because they were they were part of the group that came from. They would have been descendants of those that were forced into Ireland. Yeah, as part uh, of the colonizing uh, effort. The colonizing effort from yeah. Scotland. And then there was what Cromwell did. We don't even want to talk well, about Well, that's a whole other conversation. That's there literally a whole, a whole other conversation. So but the point is, always... yes, we our family history is on the wrong side of uh, the Irish independence and Irish, uh, the colonial brutality that was done to them. But that, you know, if anything, that just makes us more interested in supporting the cause. That said... Well, I, I'm not even, I'm not even sure because they wrong side because we're talking the the late 18th century yeah and they all hated the british well no and i mean but i think the point is no but the point uh, is the like Brits, they the were british. they were all poor people who were being used by the british government in one way or another it's and the british they were all no the british government is at fault here and it was just one side one group of poor people pitted another against another group of poor people fundamentally Fundamentally, and using religion, like like religion, to divide them, to keep them from teaming up against. Exactly. Now, everybody needs to go and read Leon. Leon Uris's Trinity. Trinity. It's called Trinity. Yeah, very good book. And it 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 will give you a a quick primer on all of this stuff. Yes, a quick primer on all of this on why people join the IRA. 
And the key fundamental thing in this episode is uh, that despite our, you know, love of uh, Irish independence, I'm not going to sign off on massive terror bombing campaigns. I don't think that's, uh, that to me doesn't seem like a great idea. That's not cool. Uh, but at the same time, I understand the desperation of, well, when the British government has been trying to wipe out your people for hundreds and hundreds of years, what are you supposed to do? And I don't have a good answer to, for that. I mean, the answer for it is the British have to stop being monsters, but the British aren't good at not being monsters. Like historically speaking, the British suck at not being monsters. And then guess what? The Americans just took over. Well, no, and absolutely. But the but the point that the episode makes is 100% true. Like, this, the, there, the rage that this guy has at a comedian for being an American and later at a lawyer for being American is understandable because we've, for, we've largely forgotten this now, but it is fair to say that... The IRA was entirely funded by American Irish expatriates. Sure. Like 100%. People fled Ireland in the famine afterwards and they made quite, they did quite well for themselves and they always had a fondness for their homeland and they paid for all of that terrorism. Like what he says in the show is 100% accurate. And so it's like every bullet that killed one of his friends, every bomb that killed one of his friends was paid for by an American. And so you understand. I'm not saying he was right to murder a man. Far from of it. He wasn't. But it, you understand how he could listen to this guy blithely talking about British soldiers as torturers and murderers. And why that would motivate him to do what he did. Like, this guy's motivation is maybe the clearest of any character we've seen. Yeah, well, I will tell you, too. And that comedian, if you go back and... I didn't go back and listen to it because I didn't want to listen to it again. Yeah. It was... I mean, th- this whole business... It wasn't like he was um, um, uh, uh, not really... How can I say? It, he was gleefully American. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then the lawyer who was his friend, mm-hmm. like you continuously see these Americans, like that lawyer was an asshole. Oh God. Yes. A contemptuous you know? asshole. A contemptuous asshole. Mm-hmm. The way he treated the cops. Oh my God. Everything. A contemptuous asshole. And then, uh, you know, I mean, and his Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, I know. You know, and then, I mean, the the boys, the the comedian's mother. Oh, that poor uh, woman. You know, who just locked out. Yep, just completely lucky. Well, no, but I, it's I, like I, you, you so, you watch it and you're like, this tragedy she, of these Americans being so blind to what's going on in the rest of the world that she's got no idea. Like, what they're angry about, what the guy's angry about. Well, and not only this, she, she wants to keep on the war, the picture of the war. This is, this, this got to me because I already knew that it had sent my mother off. Yeah. At one point, that this, that's, that second bombing in those wars and the churches just threw her back because she had Alzheimer's through her back. Yeah. 
into the past. Of course. Uh, the Second World War, we've talked at length about that. And so, and I'm going, and this woman, no, no, I want to keep it on because I n- want to know that other people are suffering like I'm suffering. Jesus. And then she wants to know if he'd killed somebody. I know. Holy fucking shit. What a stupid question to ask somebody. Yep. Oh, what my God. What a voyeuristic asshole question to, you know, and I, I'm, I, all I can say is that I'm happy he didn't kill her. Oh, yeah. Okay, in some ways, but it was only, he tried to stop himself. He was, you know, because he went outside and he was pacing in the hall. Yeah. And she still didn't get it. No. Like, are you that blind that you can't see someone in distress? In massive, massive distress and massively upset. And you should be apologizing for even asking. Yep. Or even talking about any of this. This is Mm -hmm. not your job. You should never have invited him in for a drink. I know. Because she wanted company. Jesus. You know? Yeah, a very frustrating character in a lot of ways. Like, it's not often that the uh, family members of a victim don't end up looking sympathetic. But she really doesn't. She really doesn't. Well, you just... Because... Because she just doesn't... Well, nobody really understands why somebody killed her son until the end of the episode. Well, we do have the... um, To be fair, I did like um, Fitz's statement, quite simply, that uh, obviously your son was killed by a stranger in a moment of impulse because no one who's planning to kill someone murders them, like, in public in a bathroom by surprise. Like, there's no way... Uh, and in fact, like before we even get to the mother, we have some pretty, some pretty great Fitz moments, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because he's in town for a couple of days and people know he's in town. And so there's been this high profile murder of American, of an American, not, not really a celebrity, but a guy who was doing okay from himself and whose mother has, you know, at least one powerful friend. Yes. So it's like, it's good. This is going to be a thing. And Fitz is an asset they can use. And that's what it comes down to. Well, yeah, but Fitz phones them. Yeah, of course. But he's an because he wants back in. Because he sees yeah. an, oh my God, like that that scene where he's driving around and talking about, you know, all of the beautiful things of Australia and how they can't compete with downtown Manchester. Holy shit. Having lived in Melbourne, I'm going, <laughs> really? Well, no, but he misses the grime. Yeah. He misses the cold and the misery and the grime. Oh, I know. I know. He can't what... take it being sunny all the time. You know. <laughs> he just can't deal with it. He j- Well, and he can't deal with not being involved in the crime. He yeah, can't of course. Not being... I mean, we don't actually find out what he's been doing in Australia, but I have to assume he's been teaching. Yeah, probably. And his, and his wife, wife's working his wife for some government. Job. And she's got a good, good job doing some government thing because that's what she's always done. She was always managing a charitable, she had been managing a charitable organization. I'm sure there's work for stuff like that in well, they obviously, as well. She applied, they offered her the job and she just went and then, and Fitz just didn't have any choice but to go with her if he yeah. wanted to, he was going to go. Yeah, exactly. So he went with her, but of course, and then he would, because he is this high profile specialist. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, it may be that he was part of his tour because he would have continued on his tour after Hong Kong. Yeah. 
part of the tour and somebody offered him a job. I mean, maybe he was the first one to get a job. She looked for one there too. Yeah. I mean, that is entirely possible. You know, but he obviously hasn't been working with the police. The itch hasn't been scratched. Yes. Like the thing that he uses to define himself and it's driving him crazy. And he's not gambling. He's not drinking. He's not gambling. And he's, he gets to Manchester and he starts again. Yep. Jesus. It's so frustrating. He's such a frustrating character all these years yeah. later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we do the great moment of, uh, cause we see that they, uh, the cops screwed up, uh, because they, you know, this guy got murdered in a public space. So obviously they went to all of the people in this bar, but one of the cops screwed up and he let somebody out, right? He let somebody out with a fake, who was using a fake ID. Right. A uh, guy had a fake, uh, well, not a fake ID. He stole somebody's oh. wallet and he used that, uh, he used that wallet as ID to leave. And the cop was in such a, you know, blind rush. It didn't occur to him to ask for photo ID. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, right? Not only that, there was a guy just a little ways over who'd lost his wallet. Yeah, exactly. Had he been listening and pay attention, he would have heard the guy saying, my wallet's been stolen just 10 and, feet away. And- that, but that cop, when he said his wallet had been stolen, that cop should have just shut the whole place down. Oh, exactly. You know, now it might not have been quickly enough. Yeah. It might oh, have no, been. it wouldn't have been quickly enough because the guy went from killing the. Uh, no, no, not for the guy who, not, not for the murderer, but for the guy who saw him. Right. Yes. For the witness. That's for true. the witness. They yeah. would have kept the witness. They would have kept the witness and all of this problem would have been solved. That's, yeah. you're absolutely right. That would have, that would have worked. Uh, yeah. but anyway, so Fitz does the thing where he, um, he comes in and he's like, uh, and he is able to tell them in a witness in a, a delightful bit of completely logical profiling, which is that, uh, there's three urinals against this wall and the, ki- yeah. the victim was-, was killed standing next to the first urinal next to the door. And he's like, well, obviously, uh, when this guy walked in, right, there was there somebody, there was somebody else in there, somebody at the furthest back urinal, because you would never stop at the first urinal right inside the door if the place is empty. You go to the one furthest away, so you're furthest from the door. And, uh, and so his, the, the gov, you know, the guy in charge of the investigation uh, brings in the, uh, the cop who screwed up and lost the person. Uh, to have him test it. And he's like, yeah, no, of course. And he's like, well, why'd you walk up next to that one? It's just, I don't know why. Uh, but Fitz is quite, and so like, so what, the killer was already in here? And Fitz is like, no, if the killer was already in here, he wouldn't have been able to take our guy by surprise. Yeah. No, this is, this is someone who may not have seen the killer, but he, other than the killer, he was the last person to see the victim alive. So you better find out who it is. And so they put out a call for witnesses, right? But, uh, the, but you know, the guy doesn't come forward. Oh my God. Ah, and yeah. And as you say, then it turns out that, um, and it's really a question. I mean, and we can talk about whether it's contrived or not, that like all of these victims keep, you know, getting thrown right in front of the killer's face. We can talk about whether it's contrived or not that, uh, he gets assigned to chauffeur around the unbelievable scumbag who's a friend of the victim's family. 
you know, the American lawyer who comes in to demand that this case be given highest possible priority and call all of his friends in the government to make sure that happens. And I mean, would this guy have, would this guy have killed someone, right? Killed anybody else had he not, you know, been put in that position? I don't know if I can say. I mean, the episode sure as hell isn't telling us one way or the well, other. Well, okay. Here's what I would say is that he was a very, very angry, angry oh, he was. man. Yeah. And he would not, and he'd, it's clear when he, his, his discussion, the initial discussion with lo- the lengthy discussion that he ends up having with Fitz, mm-hmm. that he's been to therapy and it hasn't worked. He yeah. has resisted ever dealing with what is the key issue as we find out when we find it out. Um, oh my, I mean, again, you want to talk about the writer being back, back to form. God, that conversation he has with Fitz. I mean, it's, it's one of the best the show's ever had. Oh yeah. He was, it's, it's, um, what I would say is that, well, first of all, I'm not sure, like I was wondering whether it was contrived or not, but you see, um, he's a, he's a, a cop attached to that particular station. Yeah. You know, and he's, um, yeah, so, and that's logical for, for ex-military to become police officers. Oh, yeah. Not a surprise. Is it contrived? That, I didn't feel like it was contrived when I was watching it. Like I thought, well, because I didn't quite recognize him the first time I, we saw him, see him in uniform. It was all, I had to look again and go, is that, is that him? Is well, that and that's the thing. Job? It's like, we have to, we have to accept a couple of contrivances because he gets, kept, get, keeps getting put on security with the, uh, the friends of the family. Even after the first guy gets killed, <laughs> he's still working the security. And yeah. while he's chauffeuring Fitz around, they happen to like, uh, get a call about <laughs> a pickpocket. Which is the exact same, uh, sorry, we're like snatch and grab, right? Yeah. Which is the exact same guy he, who witnessed him in, going into the bathroom. Yeah. So like, there, there's a lot of coincidences in this episode to yeah, keep well, the plot I, moving. Yes, to keep the plot moving. And, um, yes. And so of course they lose the witness. Yeah. Well, they don't lose the witness. He lets the witness <laughs> go. Yes, of course. And says, don't tell, you know, don't tell anyone about this and tries to scare him. And of course, the guy who just stole a woman's purse takes the phone out of it and immediately calls the cops and says, hey, uh, I, uh, I know who the killer is. Like, uh, you know, that killer you're looking for. I know who it is. I, I know I've just found out, right, what he does for a living. Give me, like, uh, I would very much like to uh, talk to you about it. And the thing is, and this is what takes them a little too long, but, I mean, Fitz does figure it out eventually. I guess they're very tense, so it's like he doesn't have time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does say, I, I've just figured out who it is, and then Fitz finds out, they all find out, that it's literally just the purse, like, the phone call came from the phone of the woman whose purse was just snatched. Yeah. Right? So they just missed it. Mm-hmm. Right. They literally just missed this guy and the witness. And of course, 
as he says, I've just found out who it is. That really should have been a bigger clue than they treated it as. Although Fitz does use that as the key clue later. And I guess we're, we just have to accept that in the heat of the moment, they don't understand the key of what he's saying. And the boss is such a, you know, so desperate with be, of be, to be in charge that he like doesn't let Fitz talk to the guy. Yeah. And he like tries to just get on the phone and threaten the guy into talking. I'm like, you know what? This is an interesting character. I would have liked to see more of him and, uh, him and Fitz. Yeah. The new, the 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 new new team. Like, yeah, I, I mean, and, and the guy who screws up and the South Asian woman who we never really get a scene with, frustratingly. Like, I, I would have very been very interested in seeing more of this this group, I yeah. think. Uh, but it is sad that we don't get more of them. Yeah, uh, only Blair's in England now. <laughs> That's quite a way to describe it, but it absolutely is right. It may not be Margaret Thatcher's England, but it was Tony. And, yeah. and I mean, it is it is always disgusting to me that he was labor. I know. Guy, was, well, I mean, it's it's the same as Clinton. It's the the quote unquote centrist guys who sell out the country. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's a neoliberalism. Neoliberalism at its worst. The yep. Blairs and the Clintons. Yep. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yes, and he won't let Fitz talk to him because he doesn't fully trust Fitz yet. And then, uh, you know, then the guy goes and almost kills the, uh, the woman and backs away. And then, but we get the real thing that, uh, makes this more complicated. The killer shows up right in front of the police station. <laughs> like, well, if the cops don't give me money, why don't you, the killer, give me no, some no, money? No, not the killer. The witness shows up. Yeah, the up. witness shows up right in front of the police station to try and demand money from the killer. And we're like, oh, damn. This can't possibly go well for you. Why? Well, he's a drug addict. He's a drug right? addict. Of course he doesn't realize it. But, oh, you... I mean, it's, like, it's weird to feel sorry for this guy, but I really do feel sorry for this well, guy. Well, you feel sorry for him, except that... He made the mistake of asking for 5,000 pounds. Yeah, I know. How did he think a cop was going to have 5,000 pounds to just hand over? You know, that was the the stupidest thing. It was the stupidest request he could have made. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Yeah, ask him for 100 pounds. Yeah, ask him for 100 pounds. Ask him for 500 pounds even. But 5,000 pounds? That's 12 grand in our money. That's insane. And, and, and the problem there is, is that as any, any cop knows, yeah, they'll be back. Yeah, he'll be back. And he'll I just, back. I love his statement that it's like, no, I, his, his pathetic promises that, oh no, I won't be back, you know, because I'll use the, I'll money use the money to go into business. No, he says I'll use the money to go into business for myself. Oh yes, that's And right. start dealing drugs so you won't need, I won't need to rob people anymore. <laughs> like, you're not you're not making a good case for yourself there, buddy. <laughs> like I understand what you're doing. You're not doing a great job. No, you should have. Uh, yeah, you should have just taken what the uh, cops offered, which was rehab. Yeah. Yeah. The cops are like, well, we can't give you money, but we can get you off drugs. And you should have just accepted that. But yeah. no. And so then we get through the killer's. I'll say it. Very well thought out plan to kill this guy. Like he, yeah. he really did all of the work. He completely thought this through. He says, I'll meet you. Uh, you know, it's like the guy's like, I want to meet you bar. somewhere public. And so he's yeah. like, okay, I'll meet you at the bar. And then he calls up the guy. 
uh, he stakes out the bar and he calls up the guy and says, I, uh, I'm going to need a little more I'm time. I'm going to need a little more time. I can have the money tomorrow morning, pick another place. And the guy, of course, is not thinking, oh, well, the cop's waiting outside to follow me home. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, uh, he, he didn't become a criminal because he was a bright guy is the key element here. Yes. And, you know, so he follows the guy home, starts to beat him up. Yep. And, and demands, actually, of course, because the guy has said, I've written a letter yeah. saying, you know, I've written a letter saying who you are. And so if anybody tries to, um, right, if anybody, if anything happens to me, they're going to know who you are and you're going to be done for. Yeah. Which and is, you know, the funny thing is, is that, and he finally says to him, he says, I gave it to my girlfriend. You don't have, have a girlfriend. girlfriend. <laughs> he kills him. Yeah. And escapes while the cops are on their way. And by the way, and the cops luckily have figured out on their own who the uh, who the thief is. So they're <laughs> on their way coincidentally. And literally the one moment the two sidekick cops get is deciding to go basically on their own. Like yeah. not wait for backup and try to race over there. But they don't catch the killer in time. No. And... Know. And the inter, and then of course. But the best part is he. But as you're saying, he says, "I have a girlfriend." You don't have a girlfriend. And as the cops get there, they walk out, and yeah, there's a woman waiting outside. After the gas explosion that the guy uses to destroy evidence, to hand over a letter saying that a co the cop who chased him that day is the killer. The guy the wasn't thing, lying. No, the funny thing is, is that the witness had had you know that that the killer was so adamant, you don't have paper, you don't have this. And when you see, it's just a scrap of yeah, paper. literally just a wrote. crumpled piece of paper that he scrawled that the confession on. Yeah, He didn't know his name, but it was a cop. Well, no, but he knew it was the cop who chased him that day. That's yeah. the key part. And that's how he, the cop could be easily identified. Yeah. It's because it was the cop who chased him that day. And but they don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe it. <sighs> of course they don't. The, uh, oh my it's God. <laughs> yeah. They, of course, they don't want to, but of course Fitz does, because Fitz had already suspected it could be because of the beautiful profiling scene we saw earlier. Because we always talk about how the most entertaining profiling scene in history is that scene from Wise Guy, where they show that, like, if you know everybody in a town, then you can actually use profiling to, like, narrow yeah. down the possible list of suspects. And he's like, okay, well, what do we know about this guy? And so he goes through the list. So he's a man. So he's this age. So he's got brown hair. So he's got military training. And Fitz explains to the mother that there are only 100 men in the city of Manchester who could have conceivably killed your son, and we're going to find him. And it's just such a nice scene. Yes. And it, he does make the case for the statistical part of profiling being incredibly useful if you have the resources of a police department and a limited group of suspects. Yeah. Like, it really can be useful in that uh, in that milieu, for lack yeah. of a better word. So, yes, I loved that scene. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Like, I thought and that scene was just dynamite. Yeah, it's because, and it's because that woman and that... that the ex-lawyer, of course. The lawyer, uh, the yeah. Lawyer. <laughs> yeah. But the way they were berating the I police, know. Oh. talking to them, and I mean, that was the, the two cops. I mean, we don't, before he kills him, he might not have killed him if that guy hadn't called him Laurel and Hardy. Oh, no. He insulted them no end and insisted 
that that they get out and take his luggage out of the boot. I know. What an asshole. Yep. You know, like you don't. I mean, that's the funny thing is that you don't feel sorry for that lawyer. Oh God, no! Like he's the, like the rare victim that we don't really care that something bad happened to him because he's <laughs> yeah. so loathsome. Yes, if he had killed the if he had killed the mother, that would have been yeah, terrible. that would have been a bridge too far. A bridge too far, and killing the co- comedian was also a bit of a bridge. Oh, it was too far. absolutely. Like he shouldn't have done that in the first place. This lawyer, though, no, we got no sympathy for you. (laughs) Just a real scumbag. Well, no, and they find out that the guy is. We didn't even mention that he's with a woman who's cheating on her husband, and blah 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 blah. And so uh, Fitz, you know, just gets her to talk by saying that you know we'll just bring in your husband and tell him. You know, so you know, (laughs) like you can you can tell us what hat what you saw, or you can have to explain to your husband why you were in this house at that time. Yeah. And so that's how they found out it's a guy with brown hair, right? Because they don't have the witness at this point that it's a a young guy with brown, youngish guy with brown hair. And then we get the beautiful scene where now that Fitz knows it's a cop, there's only one person it can possibly be, right? Yeah. He knows who it is. And uh, he knows who it is. He knows there's only one person it can possibly be. And oh my God, the... Like, it's a well we've gone to before. In fact, it's a well we go to in almost every episode of Cracker, where we get this unbelievably good scene where he almost gets him to confess and then somebody walks in. You know? Like, we've seen it before. It happens all the time. But, oh my God, is it powerful this week. Yes. That scene. Where he just drills down into this guy. And... I mean, I think it's an underappreciated aspect of what what the character Cracker does and what the show does, right? Is that the way he confronts all of these killers with the fact that, like, their trauma is not unique or special. Yeah. Like, that it is completely understandable why they are the way they are. And it, like, and that's how he breaks people down. Like, showing people that... Because you've got all of these people who aren't in control of themselves. And then you have this man who can tell them exactly who they are and exactly why they're doing the things they're doing when even they aren't really comfortable looking into themselves to figure that out. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is one of those... It's what made it so good to watch. Mm -hmm. That you can... And why you end up empathizing with the victims 99% of the time, even though they need to be caught. in The killers, not the victims. The killers, I mean. Yeah. Right? Because you you end up with that old saying, there but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. I mean, if 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 Fitz had a, if Fitz had a, like, motto, that would be it. That would be it. Yeah, 100%. Because for them, there you just see what if that, what if this cop had never gone to that comedy bar? Yeah, he probably would have eventually killed himself. He would have killed himself rather than killing somebody else. Yeah, but he was already in a state, and mm-hmm. his wife. I mean, we don't talk about his wife the second time that he's on the phone talking to the suicide hotline, right? And then he, because. 
and she just says, get help. Like he locks her. Yeah. Locks her out of the house eventually. Mm -hmm. but he says, get some help. Yeah. You know, is what she says to him. Go get some help. She can't do anything. She knows he's suicidal. Yeah. But he won't talk. Yeah. You no. Know? Um, so it's, it's just a terrible situation. Oh, absolutely. And if he had never set foot in that comedy bar. This all would have been avoided. In other if it had been a different comedian. Yeah. None the of the number of places where this could have just been kept from happening are almost infinite. Yeah. You know, so that he might never have killed anybody. It's yeah. just, it was the moody. Well, I mean, he's suicidal and then he drinks. Yeah. And he got the anger just came to the surface when this guy started, you know, ranging on British, the British military yeah. in Ireland. And, and yeah, well, you guys couldn't even succeed. We've su now that was the thing that yeah. we forgot to say is what this comedian is going. Yeah. Well, you know, thanks for giving all of us. He said, but you couldn't win it. But he says, we know how to do it and we're winning it. Yeah. Yeah, you it's know, like we're we're using all of your techniques and we're getting it done. And we're getting it done. Yeah. And you couldn't get it done in Northern Ireland. Oof. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I you could just and like the rage, like I understood completely why this guy yeah. killed comedian, given what we had seen up to that point. Yeah. Well, I think he should have, of course not. No. But you but understand his motivation in the moment. Yep. And you can understand it was just the build-up. It was a spur of the moment. Yeah. But once he'd done it once, it was going to take less to trigger him. Oh, absolutely. That's and the problem. Yeah. Right? Once this is the way he's decided to start coping, it yeah. becomes his coping mechanism. Yes. And then then so when you get the, the lawyer friend, Ugh. right, the lawyer friend who starts ringing on the police and then calls them Laurel and Hardy. I know. But he says that. Yeah. He says that to him. Yeah. Before he kills him. Yep. Right? He says, well, I've been in that house alone. Well, uh, no, he okay. says, was I Laurel or Hardy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? And the guy, because the guy pulls out his gun, the, yeah. the lawyer, and can't kill him because there are no bullets in it. Yeah. And the only thing that I would say that when that guy was killed, like, this cop is not taking care to wipe things off or anything. No, he's really he's not. Like, and he had a drink. Oh, yeah. He's not. He's not. Well, again, he wants to get caught. Yeah. I and think it's fairly obvious that he wants to get caught. Yeah. And what I'm what I'm sitting here going is, so why didn't they notice this? I mean, somebody who. Well, the answer is the answer is if they did a full fingerprinting of the house, it's not going to be surprising that his fingerprints are in the house because. He was in the house under official things because the guy made him friggin' bring his luggage in. You know? No, 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 no. He didn't bring the luggage in. But he can say, like, he can say that he went into the house without any trouble. Um, I have to imagine he wiped his fingers off the uh, fingerprints off the gun, but that would be yeah. all he would have to do. But he had, but he, but there was the glass where he had a drink. Oh yeah. And there were the two cops. Remember, there's two of them. Yes. In that car, Drake taking this this lawyer home. Oh, so, yeah. if they had, if they had, sort of, you're right that I, they would have caught him eventually. I think you're absolutely right. But yeah, how much damage would have he, he have done first? Yeah, but although 
he he needs he needs a trigger yeah to kill mm-hmm. and how many more triggers is he going to have i mean these are all americans that are triggering him yeah no wonder they wanted to call it the new terror oh fuck <laughs> rather than 911 oh, yeah, you, know, you, you, yeah. you americans are assholes cuz that's what this basically that's what the whole episode's about it's two americans mm-hmm. uh he almost kills the mother yeah Right. He, now he kills the witness. That's oh, yeah. protection. Exactly. Well, no, and it, well, the key part of the episode is simply that it's like it's about this his reaction to this American arrogance. And yes. I mean, and again, it's abandoned in the same way that we have with Albie. It's this abandonment of the the soldiers because the British government asked the soldiers to do this horrific thing, yes. which is police Northern Ireland. And he did three tours. He did three tours. And we all know what three tours in Vietnam did to people. Yep. And this is this is in many ways England's Vietnam. Yeah. Because it had the same amount of there was an like the thing about Vietnam and going as they always say about going on patrol there and whatnot is you never knew where an ambush was going to come from because the entire country was hostile. Mm-hmm. And that's how the British soldiers wound up feeling in Northern Ireland, because yeah, any exactly. there could have been a bomb anywhere at any time is how yeah, they felt. And we get the story. Oh my God, he, that story! As the as 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 he says, but he says, why is this the one that keeps my flashbacks? Because Fitz then says, so what are the flashbacks? Yeah, and so he he does tell. Fits this horrible, horrible story about these children. Oh, right, which which you got in Vietnam, the same kinds of things. These these children, yeah, who who you know are basically around a carriage, and then you know um, the sniper starts killing people. Well, well, one of the one of the police guys goes up goes up to go up to the the carriage and stuff, and the, all the other children are running away, mm-hmm. and you're going, oh shit. Yep. And the, and a sniper then kills the cop that's by the baby carriage. Another one of the cops decides to run into the house because assuming that it's the house. the house is you know the, the people who put up. it there, and then boom, there was a bomb. There was a bomb in the house, and it blows up. Yep. Can't understand why that is the flashback that keeps occurring. All that haunts time. him. That haunts him. Yeah. Friends, his two friends, and Fitz does explain it. It's the humanity, it's the trust, it's the anti-humanity. And he's like, um, "What?" And as he says, you know, it's like fundamentally, you can't imagine that a person would put a baby in danger or use the like exploit that, but they did that, and it's like that is it destroys all of your faith in humanity. In addition to your friends dying. Well, and plus they end up pulling out. Yeah. Right. The British eventually end up pulling out. And then what was it all for? Yeah. Why did your friends die? Yeah. It's it. And it is the same thing as Vietnam. Yeah. Northern Ireland was their Vietnam. And it was just, it was a, you know, I, never mind. We don't want to go into that. I mean, I, we're not going to have a long conversation about Northern Ireland here because that's not what we're here for. But fundamentally, that is, that is what they're getting at here. It was, as I said, you know, there were there were times when you wanted to hide your head in shame. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it didn't matter which side, you know, it, it was just, no, the British set this whole thing up and then they wouldn't give it up. 
Yeah. They wouldn't let it go. And you would, ha- and you had those horrible, 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 horrible. Cause I guess, um, uh, Jerry Adams is not, not the horrible one. It was, no. but Jerry Adams is the one that finally cut the deal. Worked. Yes. The deal, right? Um, managed to cut the deal. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, it was not, um, it was, it, you know, and so that's what set him off because when somebody asked him about Jerry Adams, right? Yeah. But when you listen to some of the firebrands, the, the Protestant side of things, right? Mm-hmm. It, and I, I just, it, oh, I mean, if I didn't hate Pres- <laughs> Presbyterian enough, Christianity enough already, you know, yep. just that guy, those, it was bad enough. I mean, I mean the jokes, right? That that. So what? I can't. What was the one? Oh yeah. There was. Oh, I'll t- tell this one. This, okay. This, I mean, th- there are all sorts. I mean, because uh, the religious studies departments. I tell you, where we at least ours, we were a lot of fun. <laughs> Stuff, but there was there was the joke, and I wish I could do the accents, but I can't. Right. So what happens is this priest is is told to stop in Northern Ireland. He's a mm-hmm. Roman Catholic priest, of course, and he's told not to not to be condemning, not to be yelling and screaming and all this sort of stuff about the British all the time. And it, it's come from on high. He has to settle it down, right? Yeah. Oh, he does. So he does a sermon where he does a re- recreation of sort of the Last Supper and the rest of it, and Judas, of course. So everybody's talking and Judas is talking because it's all in the Bible. You've got these, yeah. these words. So he's doing it. But when he when he says Judas's voice, Judas has a British accent. <laughs> right. Anyway, when you get people, I think like Leslie and Brian could do it. You remember yeah, them? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they they could do those those accents. Leslie was really good at doing those sorts of things. Yeah, everybody um, else is Irish and Judas has a British accent. Judas has a British accent, right? It's nice and clear <laughs> the intention there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, but it's like yeah. that's the. There is at the core of it, like, the British government so effectively turned these people against each other, right? Yeah. That we had to put up with hundreds of years of just brutality. Yeah. Of just this ceaseless brutality, right? And and there was no way that there could be a resolution that was going to satisfy everyone. But it is especially rough to, as the character in this episode says, to have to look back and how at how all of this was in its own way kicked off by the Americans. Uh, well, I mean, the most recent version. Oh, the, the American? No, even in the 1800s, the Irish. Yeah. The, the, the rich Irish were supporting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Irish, uh, Irish. The extreme. Irish independence. Yeah, they, they were sent, they were funding. Yeah, the <laughs> Americans have always, right, have always kicked money back. And so, like. The Fenian, I, I, I got an uncle. I got an uncle. Who's a real Fenian. No, no, he wasn't a Fenian. He was he was paid because in Canada, yeah, because the Fenians they were the Irish who supported this, yeah, and he was he was one of those who volunteered for uh, the raids against the Fenians oh to my capture. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's a, I've got a little thing somewhere. I think he got a hundred. 
a hundred dollars, which was a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> Damn right it was. Century, right? Yeah. Um, for being in the in a volunteer in whatever military thing it would have been. Wow, that's yeah, incredible. In, yeah, in the anti-Fenians because they wanted to keep the Fenians out of Canada. <sighs> My God! And so, like when you watch hey, this, you're like, you, you know, point. I know. <laughs> uh, until quite recently, in fact. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, when you watch this, the thing that's so fascinating is how much, like, this guy is a murderer, right? He is yeah. a bad person. He is awful. But the show is so respectful of his point of view and so sympathetic to all of these soldiers who were sent out to do an immoral thing and yeah. then ignored. And as he says, and now we're all supposed to feel sorry for the Americans. The Americans were the bad guys this whole time. And now, because one bad thing happened to the Americans, we're all yeah. supposed to just get on board with whatever they want to do. Yeah. And you're like, uh, yes. and, and I where, see where he's coming. Like, you really do see where he's coming from. It was talking about the 3,000. He said, so you, you got to lose 3,000 in one shot to be. Right. And now the, now the Americans are on board. Yep. With terrorism, yeah. Oh no, well, you know we were we were dealing with terrorism all the all the time, and all the Americans did was pay for it. The terrorists, yeah. You know, and all of a sudden they've lost three thousand, and they're they they've had their come to Jesus moment about terrorism, mm -hmm. and all is forgiven. Yep, it's a great scene. Oh yeah, I mean it. It was it was as I say, Jimmy McGovern at his best. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. That's as good as the Albi stuff. It really is. Like it's that it is that powerful an episode. The 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 um the the political stuff, yeah. It, it really yeah, is. So now Fitz has identified him. him, right? Now Fitz has identified him and we see the guy uh locking his wife. He knows it's all going down. <laughs> he locks his wife out. Out uh and we're like, oh, this is going to be bad because they got three kids. Yeah. And we are ready to have our hearts broken. Uh, yeah. Oh, we are ready to have our hearts broken. Because I don't remember, you know, I... I, I don't know. We've never seen I it before. You're right. This one we haven't even seen. So I was about to say I don't remember how it ends, but we never saw this one. No, so we never saw it, this one And before. he... And Fitz comes over to talk to him. And... Well, Fitz goes in. Fitz says, what do you want? And yeah. the guy says, vodka. And... Uh, Fitz says, well, how about some single malt? Well, well how about some single malt whiskey? Single says, malt whiskey. You no, know, he says, nobody's going to care about your breath anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, by the way, something we didn't mention yeah. where the, the, um, the, the mother of the victim yeah. offers him, you know, a drink and he says, vodka, I'm on duty. And yeah. of course, that's reference to the fact that you can't smell vodka on someone's breath. It doesn't have a scent. And yeah. then this weird line, and then it's just the insight you get to the character. It's like, oh, he's been working drunk for like a long time, a long time that that's the first thing he thinks of. Yeah. And so then, th then of course, Fitz goes out and says, and the guys are going, what does he want? Fitz says, two bottles of single Two bottles of whiskey. Yeah, two bottles of single malt whiskey. And in the meantime, before this is, as this is going on, already they have, they were supposed to go back yeah. to, to uh, Australia. They have a flight. 
And his wife says, no, you've got to be on that flight. Fitz yep. says, i got to take care of this sort of stuff. And Mark oh, screams at him that he's like, you know, abandoning his family again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and says, and don't think you can stay here. <laughs> don't think if, if you decide stay. to stay. Yeah. You know, and um, so yeah. his wife. And so then he, um, so, but he goes in and he has the conversation with the guy. Um, yeah. He goes know. in and he have, and by the way, his wife has left. Uh, yeah, yeah, but we don't, we don't know that yet, yet but his no, wife no, has no. left. But uh, but, so he goes in and he has a conversation. They have their final beautiful conversation, which again yeah. is absolutely, again, this, this show is just on all, firing on all cylinders. Their last conversation about this guy. Oh, and then the guy and Fitz says, they're not going to shoot you. You're a cop. Yeah. He's walking in front of an open window. Yeah. And he's like, you want them to do it for you. Cause yeah. all of this is because all of this is because you're so racked with survivor's guilt. You can't, but you can't kill yourself. Yeah. Right. And he's like, but I can't, I'm a coward. I can't kill myself. I can't pull the trigger. Yeah. Yes. So he keeps walking in front and Fitz says, they're not going to. And he says, well, if I shoot if I you, shoot you, they, they will. <laughs> And so he proceeds then to shoot at Fitz. Well, not at Fitz, but in Fitz's general direction. Well, yes. And, you know, he's hiding Fitz so nobody can see that Fitz isn't being shot. Exactly. We're pretty sure that he's not killing. We know Fitz is fine. Yeah. Um, but eventually the, the, his, the gov has has to to say, yeah, you've got to pull the trigger and they shoot him dead. And And then Fitz goes upstairs and the kids are fine. Just Fitz, FYI. Wait a minute. Fitz is as terrified as we oh, are. Oh, of course. Absolutely. That these children are already dead. But he's not a family annihilator. No, he's not. Or he would have let his wife in and kill his wife, too. Yeah, absolutely. But that's a hindsight point. Yeah. The very fact, the fact that he, you know, didn't kill his wife proves that he had no intention of killing the kids. Because this yeah. wasn't, because the only time that happens is when you're specifically trying to get back at your spouse. Yeah. Is when you kill your kids and, and leave the wife alive. And wife exactly. Nothing. His wife has never been at the center of any of this. So no. there was no way he was going to, after he killed the wife, we can look back and say there was no way he was going to kill the kids because he was leaving the wife alive since somebody had to look after the kids. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, would never kill his wife. He just kept telling her to get But out. And I mean, this is the, this is the fact that he understand the, understood fundamentally the cop's mindset. He knew he had to take his children hostage to get the cops to kill him. Yeah. And that's why he did it. Yeah. And then he goes home. Well, home back to Mark's place. So, yeah. It's over. It's over. Goes goes back to Mark's place and finds the iconic note. uh, Dinner in fridge, wife in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed. And we get a picture of his wife and his and his son, James. Yeah. uh, Driving home from the airport. Yep. So beautiful. Such a beautiful moment. Oh, and, and it really does feel like they were going to, they wanted to do more of these. Yeah. And given how great this thing is, I yeah. think it really is a tragedy that they didn't do more of these. Because it's like, how often does a show get to take 10 years off and come back and it's as good as it ever was? And it is fundamentally the same show. No, we've got a new gov. No, Jane isn't there to continue that storyline. But fundamentally, like, this is Cracker. Yeah. And the crazy part is, I don't know how, I mean, we can, 
debate it further and maybe we'll think about this and figure it out. But in that 10 years, like Jimmy McGovern figured out to how to do, and I, I guess it's because he doesn't have a lot of the subplots. He figured out a way to do one that feels completely like a fully realized episode of Cracker with its eye on the villain yeah. in just two hours. He did it all in just two hours, and that that blew me away. Oh, what an episode! No, he could, and but I, I and who knows what happened? What would have happened is is that when all of this nine eleven, whenever, and of course with the Birmingham Five, it, this whole mess, right? Yeah. Just remember that ta- that takes place too. We, they don't talk about that, you know that. They finally say, yeah, these Irish guys didn't do it and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, and the British, the British military, but not the guys. That's the whole point. Yeah. Right. It, it's the same thing with the Vietnam vets came. God, they were just in the military. They didn't make policy. They didn't send them out. Yeah, they were sent out as cannon fodder. Yep. And the same thing with these guys in, in the Northern British. Ireland. Yeah. It's like England refused to deal. England refused to be reasonable. England refused to deal. England refused to do the right thing. And so these guys were there to just show off England's colonial power for an infinite amount of time. Yes, in the 80s and the 90s. Like the idea that in the 80s and the 90s they were still doing this. It's insane to think of now. No. But they were still doing all this, right? It's it's. I don't. I know we we can't go down that road. No, it's going to take too long. Yeah, we're not going to get into the history. I keep of, going. I keep going because yeah. My, I mean, every time I look at Cromwell. Oh my God! If you want to just Oliver Cromwell, there's a two, two, two. Maybe it's four hours long. Massive documentary on Cromwell. God only knows where on the History Channel, or you'll find it on some some of the documentary things, uh, history type of things. Or if it was a BBC, of course, heaven help you if you can find it. Cromwell, uh, uh, let's face it, succeeded in getting rid of the king, which was a good thing. That was the only good thing he did. Oh, what he did in Northern Ireland. I know. It's what he did in Ireland. Despicable. I, Beyond all measure, like he was the a monster of, of bringing of bringing these people over from Scotland when they didn't want to go, mm-hmm. um, and just dumping them in the middle of of the boggy marshes of Ireland. Yep, I mean, you come from Scotland, which is all mount, mountain, yep. well, it's all rough terrain. Everybody whether it's the Highlands or the Lowlands, down. whether it's the Highlands yeah. or the Lowlands, it's all rocky. It is. Yes, you've seen Highlander, everybody. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Scotland looks like, and then you go to Ireland, which is bog. Mm-hmm. There's bogs, and you have to dredge out swamps to make farmland, and you have to, you know, find rocks to build your ha- like these low. You have to pull rocks out of the ground to build your houses out of. Like you got clay houses for how long? Because that's all they had to build with, because it's all a friggin' swamp. Yeah, <laughs> like it's 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 a completely different environment. Like they were asking people to live in a place where they had no idea how to farm, how to live, how to build. And they did it all just so there would be a local force to like 
steal the resources of and oppress the local population for them. Like it's well, it's disgusting. A lot of them, a lot of them, a lot of them died and yep. they ended up living in poverty. Mm-hmm. And I'm going in the British could. Good. Oh, well, yes. But you see, the Celts are always causing trouble. They had all this trouble in Ireland, in Scotland, too. Yep. Right. Oh, of course. But they were they were attached in a different way. Like there's no blockage. Yeah. Hadrian's Wall. Why do you think the Romans put up the Hadrian's Wall? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's and, always worth it's always worth remembering that one of the things that uh, speaking of the Scots making trouble, it's always worth remembering that one of the reasons that uh, that king got killed was he tried to make the Scots pray using, you know, <laughs> tried to make them give up their prayer book. <laughs> they're all Christians. They're all going to church on Sunday. But no, the Scots have to pray using our prayer book and give up their prayer book. Oh, I guess we'll have a civil war about that and the king will get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, everybody... Uh, it's now, a mess. I, like yeah. The thing is, all of England is a mess, but... Let's just say uh, the British were always the problem. The well, Welsh were never the problem. The Irish were never the problem. The Scots were never the problem. It was always the British making it. It was trouble. always those Anglo-Saxons. Yep. They were always the ones at the and, root of all of these problems. Okay. And what keeps me? What what, what keeps you doing an- ancestry? Dot, you're not doing the ancestry thing? Yeah. Going, doing the DNA thing? Yeah. Okay. What the hell happens if I find out I do have some British ancestors? Oh, no. I don't think I do, but... Oh, that'd be some bad Anything news. else is fine, but I don't want any Brits in there. Um, but I hear you. It, it's weird because that's nobody ever said that as such. Yeah. Right? Except that you just knew it. It's almost like it was osmosis from my father's side of my father and my father's side of the family and the French didn't like the British. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the Irish didn't like the British. Okay. So there were Scots. They didn't like the British. Like my grandmother. Yeah. It was a Mackenzie. Right. So it's like <laughs> Agnes, how more Scottish could you get than that? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is interesting. So, but this is what I want people to do now is go listen to the Proclaimers album, Sunshine on Leaf. They even know how to say Saskatchewan. Aww. All right. Uh, I hate that we have to say goodbye to Cracker now, but spoiler alert, we don't have to say goodbye to Cracker because starting in two weeks, we're going to be watching American Cracker (laughs) starring Robert Pastorelli. Uh, Hey, uh, just FYI, don't Google Robert Pastorelli. Just don't Google Robert Pastorelli. Uh, it's not as bad as Kevin Spacey, but it's bad. Uh, but don't Google him. Everybody's forgotten who Robert Pastorelli is. He was on a show called Murphy Brown. He did quite well for himself there. Uh, then he left Murphy Brown, did a couple of movies, did the show Cracker, and then some stuff happened. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to appreciate the show as it is, and we're not going to get into the background of the car- the actor at all. That's that's going to be my attempt to. Uh, I think that's how we should look at American well, Cracker. We or, can always. Or as, by always. the way, as it was called internationally, Cracker, Mind Over Murder. That's right. That's actually the subtitle they went with. Isn't that hilarious? Uh, but I say two weeks because first we're going to do something I've wanted us to do for a while. 
And it's kind of perfect because both Lucky White Ghost and this episode 9-11 were directed by Antonia Bird, who was a fantastic director. She came out of British, uh, she came out of British theater and British television. And I mean, this is some of her great work. And she is known mostly now for her unbelievably good movie Priest. We've actually talked about Priest a bunch on this show. Uh, because it is, I mean, it couldn't be more relevant. Yeah. You know, it is one of the best things ever about Catholicism. It's about a gay priest in the 1990s. Uh, and let's face it, the challenges of what the faith asks of you versus what your drive and how do you deal with, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not going to, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil the entire thing, but it's like, there's all, I'm not going to there. It's just like. There is an extent to which that it says a lot of Catholicism is a sham and an oppressive structure that makes everything worse. And no. that's no, really? Really? <laughs> uh, but it's like, it? and it's all about a guy coming to terms with that when he really is devout and he really does believe, or at least did originally. And it's like, yeah. well, what do you do? What, what do you do when you're a guy who came to this because you really did believe, but you're gay? Yeah. Like, what the hell do you do? And that's what the movie's about. And it is a great movie. Yeah. I think it is fair to say that this is just un unimpeachably great. We're not watching Priest next week. We no, are. No, no, no. Me next week. I don't know. Maybe we'll. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. This is what I've been getting I know at. We're going to watch. We're not. Yeah. I know. Let me say it. Uh, we're not watching Priest next week. I think y'all should watch Preach on your, uh, Priest on your own. It's amazing. Uh, but next week, we're going to be watching her other major film, which is a little something called Ravenous. We're going to watch. <laughs> we're going to watch Ravenous, uh, which if you want commentaries on America, you're not going to do a lot better than Ravenous. Uh, it is it is the most delightful. Oh, like it is one of these movies that when you see it, like you're going to have to try and wrap your head around the fact that a Hollywood studio made this movie. And, like, released it in theaters nationwide and spent tens of millions of dollars marketing it. Like, you're not going to believe that that actually happened. But it did. The 90s were crazy. And Ravenous is a miracle. And, uh, and it only happened. I want to point it out. It's only as good as it is. Like, the director got fired and the studio... Wanted to bring on, this is not an exaggeration, the guy who directed Home Alone 3 to replace him. And the entire cast, like, well, it's a comedy, right? Uh, so we should bring in just a comedy director. So the entire cast and crew went on strike until they were presented with a better option. And then star of the movie, Robert Carlyle, called up his good friend, Antonia Bird, and said, would you do me a giant favor and direct this movie? And so with no prep whatsoever, she flew to America and she directed one of the best movies. <sighs> it's an amazing story and it's an amazing movie and we will talk all about it next week. Ravenous, it is currently available to view, I'm going to say on the internet, somewhere. <laughs> it's probably on Prime or, or Disney or something. Uh, and if not, just rent it on YouTube. If you haven't seen Ravenous, you have to see Ravenous. So go do that. 
We'll see you back here next week. But until then, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like us to check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you are listening to this on an app or podcatcher, please rate and review it. That's how people find the show. We'll see you back here next week for Ravenous, but until then, I'll say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week.